Welcome to episode 30 of the first 40 miles. If you're new to backpacking, or if you're hopelessly in love with someone who wants you to love backpacking, then this podcast is for you. We'll talk about the essentials, how to lighten your load, and how to make the most of your time on the trail. I'm your host, Heather Legler. And I'm Josh Legler. And this is The First 40 Miles. Today on The First 40 Miles, the top five ways to kick the stories and the one-upping into high gear around the campfire. Then, on the Summit Gear Review, we'll share a multi-use bear canister that may help you cook dinner. On the Backpack Hack of the Week, we'll show you how to carry oil in a way that is 99.99% leak-proof. And we'll wrap up the show with a little trail wisdom from our good friend on the trail, science fiction writer Frank Herbert. All this, and that's about it, today on The First 40 Miles. So Josh, do you remember that song from the musical Oklahoma, The Farmer and the Cowman Should Be Friends? Oh, that's a great one. Yeah, I love that. The whole idea of that song was that the farmer and the cowman both really wanted land out west, but they wanted to use the land in different ways. And I kind of see a similar situation out on the trail, and that is the hikers and the bikers. And we'll throw in the horse people too, the equestrians. So right now there's a little bit of a possibly a growing rift between how the hikers and the bikers want to use the land or the trails that have been provided to them. Both of them are allowed on the trails, on certain trails, but sometimes they don't always get along. There's also been stories recently of trails being closed to mountain bikers when they remain open to hikers and equestrian use. And of course, the mountain bikers are saying, well, wait a minute, our bikes are just as low impact as hikers and way less impact than equestrians. So, you know, they feel an unfairness there being closed out from some trails that they would like to ride on. On the other hand, it can be rather traumatizing to be hiking along and all of a sudden have someone wish by at, you know, 10 or 20 miles an hour, and you just sort of clamor off to the side of the trail and and catch your breath and let your heart start beating again. So the hikers have that perspective. Yeah, my thought is that the trail is a special place for people, and most people who use the trails agree on that that it's a place where they can leave the cares of the world behind, spend some just great time in recreation, in reflection, in renewal. The trail can really be a place of retreat. And so when you have this contention on the trail, it really turns turns the trail into kind of a maybe an uncomfortable place to be for some hikers and bikers. When I was growing up, I spent a lot of time in the woods on my parents' five acres just building trails. And so to me, there's a strong connection with the trail because as I was out there in the woods working on those trails, I had a peace and a solitude that really meant a lot to me. When we go backpacking, it's great to have those times with our, uh, with our backpacking buddies. And then it's also great to have those times where maybe there's some people way ahead of you and way behind you and you're just kind of on your own just solitary, hiking along on the trail. And so it makes sense that we don't want to have disruptions like, obviously, you know, if a motorcycle came riding by, uh, that would certainly disrupt your uh, your solitude. 
So when these conflicts happen between hikers and bikers or hikers and equestrians, yeah, it's just, it's too bad. Well, we wanted to bring up a specific example because this is something that you as a hiker or a backpacker can really make a difference with. There have been reports of hikers putting rocks, large rocks, across the trail to harm bikers. It's a passive-aggressive act, and it really does cause real danger and real harm to the bikers on the trail. If you ever see a line of rocks across the trail, and they're not put there by, you know, someone trying to close off part of the trail, like a ranger or something, but if they are on the main trail, Take the time to move those rocks off of the trail to make sure that bikers are kept safe on the trail. As we've said in past episodes, hikers and backpackers really have a strong reputation for being very peaceful, kind, considerate people. And we want that tradition, that feeling to continue and to really strongly permeate the backpacking culture that's growing. We want you to kind of share that message of peace on the trail and not um, not contention. Yeah, last fall we were at a state park here in Oregon on a family hike. And at one point I stopped because I saw a spider web up above me. So I just stopped right on the trail. I was behind all the, the rest of the family and uh, pulled out my camera and I was going to try to you know, hold my camera up above my head and and get this cool shot of the spider web that I saw. And as I was concentrating on that task, I sort of gradually became aware that someone was talking and they were saying to move out of the way. And as I gradually shifted my focus away from my photography, I realized that they were yelling at me to move away and get off the trail. And so, you know, I, I was just sort of, what's the word? Dumbfounded. <laughs> kind of surprised. Yeah, I was just sort of uh, shocked out of my moment of concentration in my photography that I had to kind of switch my attention to something else. And so as I finally uh, turned around, I saw that it was two ladies on horseback that were coming up behind me and telling me uh, not only to move off the trail because they have the right of way, but also to put my hands down because by having my hands above my head, I was going to frighten their horses. So, I mean, we both played a role here, right? Like I was just stopped in the middle of the trail and I was completely focused on my photography and not aware of what was going on around me. But they also had a role to play here. They were assuming that right of way and asserting that right of way when they could have been more courteous about it. That I think it would have been very easy for them to simply stop and look at me and see what I was doing before saying something. And they would have seen that I was taking a picture and a moment later I would be walking on my way and we'd be fine. But they didn't do that. And I know a lot of horseback riders are courteous that way. And it's too bad that that one experience really left a sour taste with me. Just that one interaction can make such a difference. Well, it can go the other way too. As a backpacker or a hiker, you may be that one interaction that someone has that's either positive or negative. Hopefully it's positive. For the most part, people have really positive interactions on the trail, whether it's, you know, with hikers, bikers, or equestrians. The trail really is a happy place. It's where people go to be happy. So as you use the trail, if you do have less than positive interactions with people, Don't let it escalate. 
take it to the ranger, but don't take it out on the folks that you share the trail with. We're going to set a good example out there and keep it classy on the trail. Man, just a couple of weeks ago, um, someone posted on our Facebook page that she was searching in some forums for information about uh, gear for her dog to go backpacking with her dog, and that she was really surprised when she got a bunch of negative responses on those forums saying, oh, you're, you shouldn't be out there with your dog, that your dog has no place out on the trail with you. And man, that was too bad um, to get that sort of response. So we asked some first 40 milers for some responses about taking dogs on the trail. And uh, thankfully, we got some really good responses from people saying, yeah, I take my dog hiking and it's fine. Or, or people who don't take their dogs hiking that said, yeah, I don't take a dog hiking, but I meet up with people who have dogs. And I think it's kind of a fun moment on the trail to see this happy dog coming along. I'm fine with it. And so it's good to see that the first 40 milers are so positive in their inter interactions with others. One of the funnest moments when you're out backpacking is when you finally arrive in camp. You take off your backpack, you set up your tent, and everyone just kind of slowly, gradually gathers around the fire pit. Sometimes there's a fire, sometimes there's not. And the story swapping begins. Now, I can't vouch for the truthfulness of any of the stories that are told around the campfire. In fact, I can pretty much guarantee that a lot of them have been escalated and <laughs> stretched a little <laughs> over time and possibly over many hikes. Each subsequent hike gets the stories get more and more unbelievable and out of control. Oh, I had a scout leader who was a master of this. I mean, his stories got stretched so far and inflated so big. <laughs> you know, as we got older, we knew that these stories had been um, augmented. But as a little scout, you just you got sucked right into them. <laughs> <laughs> well, we have a top five list for you today that will help you in your campfire storytelling. So this week we have the top five campfire story starters, and we'll try and keep it as truthful as possible. Right? Uh, sure. <laughs> okay. So the number one campfire story starter is the best slash worst meal I ever had on the trail. So for me, I think one of the best meals I ever had on the trail was when we were on my first 40 miler and we came out of this really difficult area. We had to slide down some scree and then climb up the other side. And it probably took about three hours to accomplish that whole pass yeah, there. This is the famous Elliott Wash crossing on Mount Hood. Yeah, this one was the one where they said, sorry, it's closed. Don't even try. But uh, we did it. We did it anyway with a lot of help from friends and uh, Internet searches and figured out that it was possible. It just it didn't have a bridge. And so we had to do it kind of the old fashioned way going down and then back up. Well, no bridge, but also cliffs. Yeah. Uh, you know. Okay. <laughs> it was pretty difficult. Took a few hours and camp was right on the other side. So we knew we were so close. What we didn't know was that someone had parked a car there and had filled it with fresh steaks and they were kept in a cooler. Steak and 
cold, fresh water. And what else? Uh, there was an outhouse there at that campsite. There was an outhouse. <laughs> well, that wasn't part of the meal. No, I guess not. Uh, actually, <laughs> the meal was just steak. Steak. I thought there was something. What? There was something else, like donuts or... Oh, my goodness. I'm making things up already. <laughs> See, the story is expanding already. There was corn on the cob, baked potatoes that, that Bryce magically baked in a period of 15 minutes be- between when he got to the campground and when we got there. <laughs> yeah, I can now see how stories escalate over time. Like, in my mind, it was this full spread of amazing food. Was it just steak? That's all it took to yeah. amaze us after three days of backpacking. Yeah, something that wasn't hydrated with water. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Well, that was the best meal I ever had. The worst meal I ever had was about three days into the first backpacking trip that I went on, and I had brought some dehydrated food. And I don't know, dehydrated food can sometimes develop kind of, um, I guess, a cooked or an off flavor. So I had this meal and I had um, added some strong spices to it like cumin. And that night I just was not feeling, not feeling the cumin vibe, not (laughs) into it. And I don't know, I probably had a Snickers bar for dinner instead, but I sniffed it and just could not bring myself to eat it. That was, that was the worst meal I ever had. Yeah. Speaking of dehydrated food, um, as scouts, we always used to uh, tease the younger scouts about whether or not they brought their dehydrated water. So that made for some good campfire stories, too. <laughs> well, the number two campfire story starter is wild encounters. And these ones especially seem to be exaggerated over time. These wild encounters can include wild animals or just interesting people that you meet on the trail. I think a fun way to do the wild encounters, if, if you don't have a real one that you can share, I mean, you know, who says it has to be real, right, <laughs> is especially if other people hiked ahead of you, then uh, when you get to camp and settle around the campfire, you can start asking them uh, about that bear that you guys passed oh. on the trail or that, you know, fill in the blank, mountain lion. That's just plain mean. <laughs> 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 and they'll be clueless. And of course, because there was no bear, there was no no mountain lion. <laughs> but that, that's a good story to kind of get people up on edge a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> if that's your goal, then yes, that would work. <laughs> yeah. All right. I give you permission to try that with me um, with a skunk. You can say, did you see that skunk back there? All right. That's, that's a good one. Nothing bigger than a skunk, please. Well, the number three campfire story starter is trail trauma. A lot of times you know someone who's experienced something on the trail that was just unpleasant. Either uh, they broke something or they chipped a tooth or just the worse it is, the better the story is. When we did the Mount Hood Timberline Trail, um, several members of our group between them had made several attempts at that trail and had various uh, things that had happened that stopped them from finishing. And those all made great stories. There was hypothermia. There was, uh, I think, what, high water or bad weather. Anyway, one that sticks in my mind was uh, when when a few of these guys were on the trail one year that they were trying it, they ran across this lady who had become completely lost. She was so lost that she had been out for, I think, a couple days 
Now, I don't know, maybe the story is still growing in my head. So maybe she'd been out for less than a couple days or more than a couple days. I don't know. Uh, she was just basically going in a circle and could not find the right trail that would take her back where she needed to go. And so that particular year, a couple of the guys in our hiking group failed to complete the trail because they took this lost hiker and escorted her out to the trailhead. And then they didn't have time to finish the trail. But, you know, a great service they did for her, for sure. Interesting story. Yeah. And while we don't seek to bring trauma on ourselves on the trail, it does happen. And like my mom says, either you have a great experience or you have a great story. The number four campfire story starter is pre-trip disasters. It takes a lot sometimes to get out the door. Just the time off of work or the supplies, gathering equipment, just taking care of all those little loose ends that you have to tie up right before a trip. And there's a good chance that you will forget one critically important thing and end up having a pre-trip disaster, whether it's running out of gas on the way to the trailhead or forgetting to bring your water purifier something is probably going to happen before you hit the trailhead. And when it does, you might as well turn it into a story. And we give you permission to exaggerate it. Sure, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and the number five campfire story starter is anything odd that you brought is guaranteed to start a story. This could be something like curlers or alfalfa sprouts. If you have anything in your pack that's not on the packing list, that's worthy of a campfire story. You speak from experience. Oh, I do. I thought it would be really cool to, when we got into camp, to put my hair up in curlers, kind of kind of pioneer style. You know how they, um, they did those rag curls and they like took strips of cotton and they, they rolled their hair up around the strips and then they tied it in a knot. Well, I kind of did a variation on that. I got those foam curlers and put some fabric inside so I could kind of, you know, have fluffy, fluffier hair. I don't know. It was my first trip out. So really, I don't know what I was thinking, but I packed curlers and I actually weighed them before we left. So I knew I wasn't adding too much weight to the pack. But yeah, I got a, a good uh, teasing when when I pulled those out. Well, you know, if if these story starters don't give you enough ideas, then just bring up a legend, Sasquatch or, <laughs> you know, one of those. Is there another story besides Sasquatch for the United States? Do we have a, another legend or is it time to create a new legend? Maybe we should create some new legends. I feel a new top five list coming on. Ooh. The top five new legends that will replace Sasquatch. I think we're losing credibility. We better stop right now. Did you hear the time that Chuck Norris went backpacking? <laughs> Is this real? No, I, I, don't, have a, <laughs> I don't have a punchline. <laughs> we Sorry. better move on. <laughs> so um, for today's Summit Gear review, we are reviewing the lighter one bear canister and we're reviewing the small one it's called the little sammy named after the person who invented the lighter one bear canister 
Her name is Samantha. She is the daughter of the man who currently distributes and owns the Lighter One Bear Canister Company. It's a really cute story. He actually did the John Muir Trail about 30 years ago. And he told me that he had almost daily encounters with bears, like where he'd see a bear or see evidence of bears. And really really had fun telling these stories to his kids. Well, after years of hearing these stories, the kids were finally like, Dad, take us out there. Show us. Show us the John Muir Trail. So he took his kids out on this trail, and they didn't see one single bear. But while on that trip, Samantha thought of an idea for turning a bear canister into a multi-use item. And the idea was to take the traditional lid that goes on the bear canister and make it so it is a usable item. And so they came up with the idea of turning the lid into a pot. And then inside of the canister, there's a support beam so that a bear can't just crush plastic. There's something rigid inside to keep the structure. That is used as the pot handle. So you save weight when you carry this canister because you don't need to carry another pot. Samantha came up with this idea on a backpacking trip. I think a lot of ideas kind of come to the surface during backpacking trips because you have all that time to think and be creative. So for some of you who may not understand what a bear canister is, it's a bear-proof rigid barrel with a lid that bears can't open and they can't crush with their teeth. They can't smash it against a tree. It's very strong, stronger than a bear. Yeah. And that's where you keep all your food. If you're going to be in, I guess I'd say a a high risk area for bears. Yeah. And there are some high risk areas, Um, Yosemite, Denali, Sequoia, Kings Canyon, Glacier and Rocky Mountain National Park. The habitat for bears is huge, but certain areas have the higher risk. Uh, Technically, right here in the Willamette Valley of Oregon, we live in bear country. But we don't really need to worry about bear canisters when we go camping near our home. Uh, But like you said, certain places have a higher risk. So this canister is clear, light blue polycarbonate. The lid of the canister which is the pan, is made of anodized aluminum. The internal support bar is also the pan handle. This is where it gets a little bit tricky because now (laughs) I'm going to call the pan the pan and then the lid of the pan is different than the lid of the canister. Does that make sense? (laughs) Yeah, the lid of the canister doubles as a pan (laughs) and it has its own optional lid that can go on top of it. You'll also want to make sure that when you use the bear canister that you put it away from camp. A safe distance, I think, is about 100 to 200 feet. You just want to keep it out of camp and keep it away from a water source, too, because if a bear kicks it into water, then goodbye food. It's down the river. The total mass of the lighter one bear canister is 1 pound 14 ounces. And let me tell you what that includes. That is the canister itself the lid for the canister, the support bar that goes inside of it, and the pan lid. And the pan lid, just so you know, isn't necessary. Of course, it makes your water boil faster, keeps little floaties Mm -hmm. out of your water. That's two ounces. If you wanted to leave it home, that's totally fine. This canister is nine inches tall and seven inches wide, and it packs about five liters in there. 
We recently took the lighter one bear canister Little Sammy on our Redwoods trip, and I felt like it was the perfect size for a one-day, three-person trek. We used it in our family for a one-day, six-person food stash, but we have little people, so they kind of count for, you know, Half of an adult. Half of an yeah. adult. They still eat a lot. Maybe we should count them as adults. Yeah, come to think of it. I mean, give them a bag of M&Ms and... Oh, my goodness. Yeah, it's gone instantly. Yeah, faster than an adult could eat it. That's for sure. Yeah. Well, if you're purchasing just the lighter one, Little Sammy, that's $95. But if you think you'll be taking larger trips and you want to have both the little one and the big one to use at different times... Then they also sell the lighter one, Little Sammy, and the Big Daddy. And what it is is it's the small canister and the large canister, but they only come with one lid and one support bar and one pan lid. So I guess you just have to decide what kinds of trips you'll be going on. I really liked the Little Sammy because it was the perfect size for what we do, the kind of backpacking that our family does. Uh, The big one... Didn't fit very well in my pack. I think if I had strapped it onto the outside, it would have been, I don't know, it would have worked, but it would have been so bulky and it would have been so heavy. Yeah, that would put your heaviest stuff, your food, furthest away from your back. Yeah, and I think if you are an equestrian and you're going to be going on a long trip through bear country, this is the kind of container that you could bring, you know, the large, the larger version of the lighter one because it will hold a lot of food. It'll protect the food from the bears, and you won't be the one having to carry it. Your horse will. Nice. There's a couple other things we noticed when using the pan as a uh, cooking implement. The handle sort of hooks into the pan, but if you you, uh, rotate it upwards, you know, it'll come right back out. So we were kind of trying to brainstorm some ways to keep that handle a little more secure when it's um, hooked into the pan. And then also the the way the handle hooks into the pan actually prevents the lid from sitting completely securely on top of the pan. It sort of gets bumped up on one side where the handle is in the way. And it's not an issue when you're boiling water, but we were popping popcorns. We were shaking the pan and we had to hold the lid on with our hand and shake the pan at the same time. And if there was a little notch cut into the lid, it would have fit on perfectly and it wouldn't have slid off while we were popping popcorn. Yeah. So that's the next hack we'll try. Just put a little notch in the lid so that we can rotate it around to uh, fit it over the handle and then see what we can do about that handle being a little more secure so that we feel a little safer, you know, shaking it around with popcorn and hot oil. Well, I felt like the little Sammy was the perfect size, that it fit in my pack perfectly. It was the right amount of food for our family for one day and that it's a well-constructed bear canister. You know, I was just thinking this hack that we're going to do for the the pan uh, notching the lid is a literal hack. Oh, my goodness. I'm going to do it with a hacksaw. (laughs) How often can we share a hack that that is actually a hack? How about that? I love it. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, uh, we did take one other bear-proof container on the same trip, and it was the Ursack, U-R-S-A-C-K. The big difference between the two was that the lighter one is rigid, and the Ursack is a fabric, 
so it's not rigid. I thought that the Ursac was a lot easier to morph and fit into my pack. On the other hand, if a bear actually got a hold of the container, I would much prefer that they got a hold of the lighter one because, you know, either way, they're not going to get the food out. But with the Ursac, they're definitely going to squish the food a lot. And with the lighter one, the food would not be squished. Anyway, you can look forward to our upcoming review of the Ursac. But if you're uh, in the market right now to get a bear-proof container, then you can consider those trade-offs between the lighter one and the Ursac. For the backpack hack of the week, we have a leak-proof bottle for liquids. And this is the only bottle that I have ever found that is so close to being absolutely leak-proof. I'm not going to give it a 100% rating because, of course, if something can go wrong, it will. And elevation gains and losses do all sorts of things with pressure in bottles. So still, you want to be careful. This is an awesome hack. No hacksaw required. What you're going to need is a bottle of Mio liquid water enhancer. Well, there's all sorts of crazy ingredients in here, so I'm not saying you have to drink it. <laughs> but buy it for the bottle because the bottle is so awesome. It's a little 1.08 fluid ounce bottle, 32 milliliters. When you open it up, it has a little orifice that is covered by like a silicone. Like a yeah, silicone. like those uh, ketchup bottles or mustard bottles. I mean, the engineering on this little bottle, I think, is incredible. If you choose to drink it, you just do a few squirts inside of your water bottle and you'll probably have it used up in uh, maybe a couple weeks. After your little Mio water enhancer bottle is empty, it is the perfect container for oil, for soy sauce, for fish sauce, for whatever you want to stick in there that's going to be your little secret ingredient on the trail. So far, we've just used it for oil. It was perfect. We had no spilling issues. Now, since it has that silicone orifice, how do you actually get the oil in there? So you just actually twist the top off. I'll show you this bottle. See how it has a ridge? <laughs> can, our, can our listeners see? <laughs> okay, so you've got the flip top. It just twists it off. It twists so off. You twist it, have to twist it pretty hard. So it's okay. not screw on, it's kind of twist on. And then you can pop it back on. The only thing you'll want to do is choose a flavor that you are okay with because the container will never lose the smell. If you want oil that has a slight orange flavor or a slight lemon-lime flavor, then those are the flavors you should go for. So this is a gourmet hack. I mean, those flavored oils, <laughs> that's like, you find those in specialty shops. Yeah, so just wash it out in the dishwasher. Make sure it's really clean and dry inside. It works great for holding all liquids on the trail. We'll leave you with a little trail wisdom from our good friend on the trail, Frank Herbert. He said, Without new experiences, something inside of us sleeps. The sleeper must awaken. That's it for today. Thank you for listening. If you liked this podcast, follow us on Facebook and Twitter or review us on iTunes. We'll see you next time on The First 40 Miles.
deceptively small or deceptively large? Deceptively small. I don't know. Okay. <laughs> I should stop saying that because I don't understand that phrase. <laughs> artificial flavor. No, I'm sorry. Natural flavor with other Ooh. natural flavor. Ooh. Okay. 